0: And so once again, we just open your word, praying that you would speak to us and guide us in it, that you would be glorified through it, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbors. How you doing, Martin? Hi, Penny. What? Steve. Oh, is he? okay. I got to talk to him. Greetings. (laughs) Welcome. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. We'll be picking up at verse 1. The preacher, more than likely Solomon, is examining life under the sun. He's trying to make sense of things apart from a relationship with God. And we've seen he kind of looked down from his palace over society and was bringing up certain truths and certain things that even confused him and then it's as if he decided to go amongst the people, and now he's looking at society from ground level, if you will, and he's, he's just looking and seeing the, the realities of where man's wisdom leads him to and where, well, man's wisdom, the end result, sooner or later, is going to be foolishness and a life apart from God. And then he sees where the wise person, the one who does put their trust in the Lord, and really what difference that makes. And again, it's something that we all have to consider. What difference has your belief made? What difference has your Christianity made in your life? If your Christianity has not made a difference in your life, you need to examine yourself. Are you truly right with God? Are you a Christian in name only, or are you born again believer? This morning, it was the purpose. We celebrated the communion meal. And as we celebrated the communion meal, the idea was is, is that bread and this juice it becomes part of who i am and our beliefs again they become part of who we are now what the preacher is expanding upon is what he first presented back in chapter 1 verses 12 through 18 it says i was preacher over i was preacher king over israel and jerusalem and i set my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven this burdensome task god has given the sons of man "'by which they must be exercised. "'I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, "'and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. "'What is crooked cannot be made straight. "'What is lacking cannot be numbered. "'I communed with my heart.'" the idea is I looked inside of myself saying, "'Look, I've obtained greatness "'and have gained more wisdom "'than all who were before me in Jerusalem. "'My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge.'" And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind. There's no real substance in it apart from God. In verse 18, he comes to this one of his first conclusions. For in much wisdom is much grief. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. There was a poem by a man named Thomas Gary. It's called Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College this man was looking at these students as they were going about their lives, as they were playing games, as they were going to, uh, going to their classes, and he was just looking at them and thinking, oh, if they really knew, if they only knew what lay before them. It goes, Alas, regardless of their doom, the little victims play. No sense have they of ills to come, nor care beyond today. Yet, ah, why should they yet know their fate? Since sorrow never comes too late and happiness too swiftly flies. Thought would destroy their paradise. No more where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. And he's saying they, 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 it's good that they're able to live in their cocoon because when they get out of college, then real life is going to hit. And then they're going to understand tragedy and they're going to understand loss. Again, we have to see that we're looking at this apart from a relationship with God and without God, how lost man truly is. I'll never forget, we have this picture. It's my favorite picture of our wedding day. It's a picture of Terry and I. We've just gone through the ceremony. We've walked down the aisle and the, I we didn't notice the photographer, but just we just came out of the church or just coming to the back of the church and he took this picture and the picture just displays... The relief that we have is finally this whole wedding thing is going to be over and we're able to move forward. And when I look at that picture, it always touches my mind if those two innocent kids only knew what lay before them. You know, just, just all of the the hardship, the joys without a doubt, but just everything that life has to offer. The kids that we were going to have, the grandkids that we have now. And I look back and looking at those innocent, that innocent picture, I realize... They didn't really have a clue. You had dreams and aspirations. There's no doubt about that. But life, life in the Lord, God directs us in the direction that we should go. And as he does, you never know where that is going to take you. And so the preacher is examining wisdom in detail. And he even comes to the conclusion, that apart from God, it seems as if it's better just to be ignorant, just to go about life and and not being concerned in what the end is, and even ignoring the end day. And so many people do that. I was talking to one of the brothers who was gone door to door, and he was with a couple of other people, and one of, they, they developed this conversation with this man at his doorstep. And as they were talking to this man, one of the brothers was kind of arguing back and forth the cr- Christian position and all this. And finally the guy says, you know what? I've had enough. We're not getting anywhere in any of this. I'm not going to convince you. You're not going to convince me. And okay, so they, they agreed to, to, to stop the discussion and we we're gonna move on and this guy's gonna go back in his house. And one of the other guys says, just one thing real quick, yeah? If you were gonna die today, where would you end up? And it just stopped the guy right in his tracks. So often, we wanna argue and we wanna make our point and all of that. But see, the, the biggest part of Christianity or at least sharing the gospel is getting people to consider. Getting people to consider their own situation because people spend a lot of time ignoring their situation ignoring that another day older ignoring the one day that i'm going to die we had a funeral here a couple of weeks ago man was relatively young he was 66 years old and it came time for for him to go home was he ready he proclaimed jesus christ as his lord and savior he was he he took care of business if you will but we have a world out there that's perishing in unbelief. Jesus has told us that that, that's our mission. field. Go out into all of the world for the purpose of making disciples. The main reason is, is because they're living in ignorance. It's veiled in human wisdom, but human wisdom is folly. Again, as the preacher would say, it's vanity. It's grasping for the wind. There's no substance to this. You can't think you can't philosophize thing into existence god has set before us truth and reality we must embrace truth and reality embrace the days of well, the past that he's given me and, and rejoice in what god has done and how he has blessed me with ministry that i have in my particular case or jobs or spouses or children i had um how many did i have i had five grandchildren it's hard to keep track anymore I had five grandchildren over this afternoon and just a blessing just to be there and to sit there with them and just to play with them and just to enjoy them, to understand that that's a blessing from God and just the health that I have, the health that we have, such as it is, because everybody's at a different place, but just to enjoy this day because this day that God has given me is truly a gift from God. He wants me to be glad and to rejoice in it, understanding from whom all good things come from But also, I need to understand that as he's given me many blessings, he's also given me much responsibility. And in that responsibility is joy within itself to be able to use by God and set people free from, well, the bondage that they find themselves in. I've mentioned it before, but one of my favorite areas of ministry, and maybe that's not a great term, one of my most effective areas of ministry is doing a funeral because everybody sitting there again is contemplating their own mortality. And there's an opportunity to show them the gospel, to preach the gospel, and to show them the wisdom that comes from God. Because, well, Paul would refer to it in 1 Corinthians as the foolishness of the cross. That we have this man that we have put our trust in, but he went and he was crucified upon the cross. The world looks at that, and that's foolishness to them. But the problem with the philosophers of the world is they die as well. But the beauty of ours is he's come back to life. And we can see the reality of that life. And you should be able to look in the mirror and you should be able to be reminded of the reality of your beliefs. That reality of what the gospel is able to do because it's been punctuated by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has said when he goes, he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit started moving in the church in Acts chapter 2 and things changed dramatically. And there's just simply no denying that all the way through until it arrived at our doorstep. And as it arrives at our doorstep, the day of our salvation, what is it that changed your life? It was just somebody who spoke the gospel and you believed and your life was altered. And that's proof of the reality of God and proof of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you because just think about it morality who really apart from God who really cares if you're moral or not I mean if there's no God then why not indulge in sin and every desire of your flesh what difference does it really make in the end it absolutely makes no difference but the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and the Holy Spirit convicts you and the Holy Spirit shows you in the direction that you should go and we as we have an ear and obedience to the direction of the Holy Spirit we find our lives blessed as we don't then we find ourselves in opposition to god and god will never bless he or she who is in opposition to him and really what we see here is is the reality of our fate and then i've got the opportunity we have the opportunity to speak that into somebody else's lives and it's an amazing thing to look into somebody's eyes and to finally see them get it unfortunately i've seen i talked to somebody not too long ago I, I wouldn't say he got it too late because that would be not receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and passing away. But he's just simply made a mess of things. But the beauty of it is, I see that now finally in the midst of that, that which was' necessary in his life, and see how he's getting the reality of this and the truthfulness of this. This isn't just another religion, as we've said so many times, but you can't let this get past you as a cliche. This is a relationship a relationship of give and take, a relationship of communication, of a relationship of of spending time together, and, and again, everything that a relationship involves. And it's the beauty of Christianity that we have a God that cares for us and enters into our lives and intervenes in the situations and circumstances of our lives. And so we've got to be aware of that. And so the preacher, he's entering into society that doesn't seem to be aware of it. Now, more than likely, as we've said so many times, this is probably Solomon. And Solomon's entering into the society of these people who are supposed to be God's people, but it seems they've gotten all caught up in their lives. They've gotten caught up in their jobs. They've gotten caught up in so much that no longer do they recognize the hand of God as the hand of God has moved in a powerful way, and will continue to move in a powerful way. And so the first thing that he sees in chapter 7 is the value of a good name. Chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, so many of you, just if I would say this particular name, and it would be different for every one of us, there's somebody that maybe had done you wrong. There's somebody who is just somebody who hit you or rubbed you the wrong way or whatever. You mention that name, and it's just this feeling of just being graded upon enters your mind. You would never name any of your children. You would refuse to allow your children to name your grandchildren that name. For me, there was this company that I worked for. They owed me quite a bit of money. They filed bankruptcy. The last name was Kraus. Anytime I hear the name Kraus, anybody named Kraus here? Good anybody you're not (laughs) any any time i hear that name it just gets me because well ended up god did a great work through it but nonetheless now when i hear the name terry that's the name of my wife or the name of sean jamie kelly or chelsea or noah seth mariah henry max malachi or christopher michael I hear those names, it's pretty good that I remembered them all just like that. I hear yeah, I'm impressed too. I hear those names, and you know that's love. That's love and that's something special to me, and, and that makes a that makes a great difference. There's an old proverb that says, Every person has three names the one given by our parents, the ones others call us, and the ones that we acquire of ourselves. For me, it was Michael Joseph ursioli that's the one my parents gave me Ursioli. well in high school we pretty much usually call it guys anyway each other by our last names and my last name being so long they called me urs Ers. Hey, that was the name that were given by my acquaintances my friends and then there's the one that we acquire ourselves this is the one that your testimony plays into This is the one that your manner of life and your worldview will play into and develop. For some, it's not going to be a a good thing. For others, prayerfully, for us, it's going to be that which is a blessing. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, it says, the memory of a righteous is blessed. The, The memory of the righteous is blessed. But the name of the wicked will rot. And there's those rotten names. You know, just the name Satan, it just hits you that way. There's a name Judas, a name Hitler, and we can just go down the list, and there's so many more. These names that reverberate throughout the course of history with that stench of their actions and their deeds. In Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Your reputation is going to be something of even more value, even than great riches. It's that which we need to continue to nurture. It's that which we need to be well, we just need to use it for God's glory, that reputation that as I develop it, I can use it now for God's, well, for the benefit of the gospel of our Lord because through my bad reputation, I can hinder what God wants to do through me. Now, most of us know of different preachers who at one point were preaching the gospel and seemed so spot on, but then either fell or went in a bad direction And that name, which was so valuable at one time, you hear it, and the first thing that comes into your mind was the sin that was committed. And again, you can go back through and probably different acquaintances or whatever. See, the very important part of sharing God's word and being used by the Lord is to build bridges and to keep those bridges open, those relationships open. In the sight of God, there's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's to die apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But as far as anything else, Christ came to die for them all. And as Christ came to die for them all, he wants all to hear the gospel of salvation. And so what do we do within the church? So many times we spend our time burning bridges. We throw people out of the church or don't welcome people in the church because of specific sin, as if they're worse than what we used to be. The church that I got saved at, they brought me in, or they allowed me in anyway, even as a sinner. But as they brought me in, the gospel was preached, and, and it just opened up a whole new life to me. And there's that opportunity any time that we build these bridges as we go out into society. My wife's pretty good about that. She'll develop conversations with people at the check stand or whatever it might be, just to start building bridges. And you doesn't mean that people are going to fall on their knees and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at that moment, although maybe they will, but just to build that bridge, that open avenue, that at some point when the opportunity presents itself either by you or by somebody else, that they would come into the kingdom of heaven. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. So as the preacher is looking at life under the sun, he's realizing another baby, another baby, and all that this baby has to look forward to. Now, who is this child going to be? I've pretty much asked myself and all of my kids and my grandkids, who is this child going to be? Now, Max was over today, and Max is about, I'm not really even sure, about a year, somewhere around there. He still doesn't really have that personality. You can't really talk, well, you talk to him, but you don't get a whole many answers Um, He just hasn't, you don't don't know the person that he is yet. You look forward to that, but until now, uh, uh, up until this point, it's yet to come about. And so the idea here is, at a birth announcement, that tells nothing about a person. Another birth is just another baby. But the obituary, that's going to tell the story. That's going to tell the story of that life. That's going to tell of all of that person's victories and all of his defeats what kind of man he really was, what kind of woman she is, what they were able to do and to achieve for the kingdom of heaven. You look at Judas's name at birth, and I imagine his parents had great aspirations for him, but again, what told the story was really the day of his death. You have Mary of Bethany, this woman, this very obscure woman, but she left an awesome testimony in Matthew 26, verse 13, But surely I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world that this woman has done, what this woman has done will also be told to her as a memorial or told as a memorial to her. And so here's this woman who worshiped at the feet of Jesus. And as she worshiped at the feet of Jesus, this was a testimony that again, a testimony that would go on throughout all of the ages. This this woman, Mary of Bethany, she just had this one moment but it was a moment that made all the difference and so yeah at the day of death um the day of death and the day of one's birth it's more precious it's more precious because that's the testimony what kind of testimony are you going to leave what have you filled your life with what have you made your your priority? And not just your priority, because what I make my priority, I also make the priority of those who I have influence over. You know, most obvious, I guess, those of my own household, but it extends beyond that. And so if you look at the totality of your life, what have you made the greater priority? We can make sports a great priority in our kids' lives, but that's more than likely only going to last the time that they're a kid. I seriously doubt and I can almost guarantee not one of our children in this church are going to go on to play professional sports. But we'll put hours upon hours. Sports aren't a bad thing. I, I'm looking forward to going to my grandkids' games. I love going to my kids' games. But again, where's the priority? In, in playing a musical instrument or something along those lines, dance class. Yeah, all of those things are good. They're even important to a well-rounded person but where is it that I put my priority? When my kids look at me, what do they make the determination that is important to dad? Not so much what dad will do or dad will begrudgingly do, but what's important to dad. That's something that the Lord spoke to me very early because there's times, just like everybody else, you don't feel like getting up and going to church. There's times when you don't feel like doing devotion. And if I'm trying to skate on the devotions, it, 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 you know, just look at this way from this perspective. If it's got to be every night my wife hounding me to do devotions with the kids, the kids are going to look at me and think, this isn't dad's priority. And especially for a son, if it's not dad's priority, it's not going to be my priority. It seems like dad is just enduring it for a time and doing what he's supposed to do. And I'll probably do that, although they'll probably even fall shorter of that. But what is it that I make a priority in my household? Well, how important is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? If the Lord Jesus Christ is your life, that'll be the chief priority of your life. Your kids will see that, and that which you make a priority sooner or later, they'll make a priority in their lives as well. Verses two through four. Better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart sorrow is better than laughter for by a sad countenance the heart is made better the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth if there is no hope after this life then let us party hardy and ignore well just ignore anything that tells us to live a moral life because really what difference does it make but as we understand God has placed eternity within our hearts there is more There is so much more. And so that's what the preacher is talking about. It's these people who are mourning have a better perspective upon life than these people who are engaged in mirth or celebrating or constant partying and all. The constant partiers, it seems as they're trying to ignore the inevitable. Those people who are mourning, they're looking the inevitable straight in the face. And again, that's what happens at a funeral. Every person sitting there is looking at the inevitable. Especially when there's a casket there, they're understanding, they're realizing, well, they're thinking of that day when that's going to be me. And and, and they're, they're contemplating these things and they're thinking these things through. And that's why it's such a fertile ground to be able to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise man, he prepares for the future. And as he prepares for the future, whatever comes his way in the Lord, he's ready to deal with it and especially how much more so the day of our death. As I pointed out so many times, the philosophies of men, they fall off the end of the table at the day of death. Man cannot philosophize death, and so we'll throw some sort of band-aid on it as far as when you die, you just cease to exist. That kind of helps us to feel a little bit better in this life. Or maybe you're going to be reincarnated, and you're going to come back as something better. I mean, really? I mean, do you even really want to go through life all over again? No, God has placed eternity within our hearts. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. And so we all have that day of our appointed death, but that's okay because when it speaks of an appointed death, it speaks of the one who sets the appointment. And I know that to be the Lord. And so I I can't add another day to my life. I mean, I know we can do foolish things and all of that and cut short those days, but nonetheless, God's got a date for me. God's got a plan for me. And I can find peace in that. I can find peace. I can find peace in that in my wife and again in my children and my grandchildren. I, said, I prayed for them and I said goodbye to my daughter Kelly and Andrew and, and their three children and set them on their way back to Yucca Valley about an hour and a half drive. And we know of the perils that exist on the freeways today and, and even as they go through their week. But again, they're in the hands of the Lord. As they're in the hands of the Lord... We've got to draw a confidence from that. Verse 4, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So pleasure and partying and so on and so forth, that day is going to catch him very unexpectedly. Remember the rich fool? The rich fool is a very successful man. He built barn after barn after barn. He had riches stored up for the rest of his life, and he was just going to kick back, and he was going to take it easy. And what happened? Well, God approached him and said, you fool, today your life is gonna be required of you. Now in the Bible, when somebody is called a fool, the greater majority of the time, this is somebody who has not made God a priority in their lives. My dad, I've mentioned it before, my dad retired at 55, he got cancer at 66, and he died at the age of 66. He was just like that rich fool. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ He called me up and I can remember the day and I I, I shared a verse with him and as I shared that verse with him, later on he told me not to do it anymore because it made him feel uncomfortable. But the day of his death, actually hours before his death, he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so we've got to understand the priorities. Man is trying, we're trying to entertain ourselves to such a degree because there's that day of our death is coming and we don't want to face it because. We don't have the faculties to even deal with it apart from Jesus Christ or under the sun. I mean, just think once again how cruel life really is if there is no God. And you have to go through all of the hardships and all of the trials that you go through, and then at the end, you get sick and you die. Apart from Christ, this makes absolutely no sense. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes all the sense in the world. Why? Why? because it's the truth of the gospel. Secondly, he's going to look at the value of a rebuke in verses 5 and 6. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is also vanity, or this is also without value. I'm a kind of person that, for whatever reason, I just don't like to be corrected. It's not something that is enjoyable to me. When when I'm corrected, I, I have to I have to stop myself, and I have to think: Is this person right? And if they're right, it's still going against my grain. But I have to be receptive, and I have to be open to that because I would be foolish to not do so. And so here here we have this value of rebuke and this value of correction, and we need to realize how how important this is because. When I look at the Bible, especially not even in an unsaved state, but I look at a Bible even as a born-again believer, I read it every day, and as I look at it, it's going to be full of rebukes. Now, rebuke, we have the mindset of a taskmaster coming down on somebody, but this is just correction. It's just correction in the direction that I'm going, that if I'm going in the wrong direction, praise God. Praise God that he speaks to me or he sends somebody to speak to me in order to send me right. Most of you know I write a daily devotion and I post it on Facebook. And uh, I don't remember, it was, it was about a month ago or so, and, and I, I quoted Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. But I didn't state it that way. I said money is the root of all evil. Now, anytime I quote that verse, I point out that it's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love of money for all, that's of all evil. But it just got past me. And this lady, and I, I don't even know who she is, she, she was a friend of a friend that liked um, our, our church site in order to get the devotions, and she'll like them every once in a while. Well, she just read, you may want to change that it's not the love of money, it, or it's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And there's, there's a rebuke. You know how much time I put into writing these devotions? And who are you to think? No, and I, 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 first I was beside myself. How can I do that? I know better than that. And the first thing is, okay, I'll change it, but I'll erase the rebuke so nobody sees it. But God spoke to me on that. He says, really? Really? Is your pride really that bad? So what I did was I liked it. I you know thanked her for, for, for saying that. I went through and I edited it, and I just left it on. About an hour later, she went and she uh, deleted it. But the thing about it was, here was a woman who appreciated the truth being expanded upon in daily devotions, and here she is, she sees something that, she, you know, she knows that I wasn't trying to teach falsely, I assume. Just is just a woman who's pointing out there's, there's an error here. There's an error here that needs to be corrected and needs to be set right. And if you're open to that, we're all the better for it. And Now I don't have, you know, because once you put something on Facebook, it's like there forever. I don't have something that I'd be ashamed of floating around there. It was corrected and we moved on. What is it in your life that needs to be corrected? What is it that maybe somebody's even pointed out to you, but again, it rubs you the wrong way and you get to the point where you're stubborn and yeah, you may be right, but since you brought it up, I'm not going to change it because, well, that's just the way I am. And then we continue on in, in in a state that we ought not to be doing. And so there's correction. Correction, true correction, obviously comes from the Word of God either directly or indirectly by indirectly once again somebody who's well versed in the scriptures who speaks to us when we are in error in acts chapter 17 verses 30 through 31 the apostle paul said truly these times of ignorance god overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has pointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead and so paul's saying He's commanding everybody to repent, to stop going in the wrong direction and go in the right direction. But you got to know what the wrong direction is and the right direction. And at times, we're going to take that step in the wrong way. Now, keep in mind, if God calls you to be the rebuker, and I look at this lady, and I I, I don't even remember really what her name is, but I look at this lady and I'm just thinking, she just saw something, and and just what, what a compassionate person she is. She presented it to me in a very respectful way. And she's concerned about other people who would read it. Now, if God uses you to be the rebuker, understand how you feel when you're being rebuked or you're being corrected. I have an opportunity to be the corrector. I need to do it in a spirit of love. I need to do it in a spirit of understanding. Because really what we're doing is we're entering into a sensitive area. The problem is so many people enjoy being the rebuker. Because what does that do? It, it, it knocks them down and it builds us up. But you have to do that in the proper spirit if it's going to be done in the Lord. And it's to be done humbly. It's to consider yourself, at least you're in the position of being rebuked. And it's to do so with the spirit of love and compassion to see that person grow and move down the road in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 6, "...for like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so was the laughter of a fool." This is also vanity, crackling of thorns. Thorns would be something very dry, and you light them on fire, and they crack loud, and there's a big flash, and they're gone. And the idea is this is the laughter of a fool. The laughter of a fool does not come from enjoyment. The laughter of a fool comes from ignorance. And then next we see the value of patience. This is, really, this is a real hard one for me. I'm not patient whatsoever. Verses seven through nine, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry for anger rests in the bosom of fools. It's been said that the long haul is better than a shortcut. It's better to experience something throughout the, the the life of it, if you will. To raise up a child and to invest in that child and to be patient with that child throughout its upbringing and to see that child eventually through trials and through hardship and through joy and to see that person prevail. To, to start the church and to see the church grow and to be part of a church plant and part of a church that's growing. Because even more than being a pastor, I'm a member of this church and it's great just to be a part of it and to see people come, it's hard to see people go. Bagmas are here tonight. They were here with us for quite a while and moved to Colorado. Mr. Black's getting ready to move on down to San Diego. And, but that's all the joy of it, to be able to have influence and see people go out and, 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 and whatnot. But just to, to, to have that time to be able to invest our lives with one another. And it's not about me just influencing you, but a greater part of my spiritual life has been how you guys have influenced me as well. See, when I do my studies, I can't just, I don't pull up old studies and just present them. I I, I just don't throw something together because I understand the maturity of the people that I'm speaking to, and I've got to consider the things that I say because, again, we're growing in the Lord, and we are to flourish in the Lord together. And we all know how we can be, so how much more so is patience necessary? Patience to be able to endure with one another. God's relationship with us it was called long-suffering. How long did God suffer? When was the day of your salvation? What, what, you know, how old were you when you were saved? All of those pre-Christ years, that was God's suffering with you. You were no prize, especially in an unsafe state. But God was patient, God was loving, and he was long-suffering. He put up with you all the way through to the day of your salvation. Now, if God puts up with the difficult person, how much more so should we put up with the difficult person? We had a difficult person come to our church quite a few years ago, and I just remember thinking, life would be a whole lot better if they went to another church. And God spoke to me very directly obviously not through an audible voice, but he just really impressed upon my heart, make that person a priority. Make that person a priority. And I saw God do a great work in that person's life. Not just through my direct ministry that had a part of it, but it was also, I believe, because I was patient with that person. I saw other people be patient with that person. Not everybody was, because it was a hard person to be patient with. See, if the person, if you just love the person and the person is the greatest person in the world, you're not being patient with that person. It's that person that can just really, well, has that name that grates the wrong way. When you're able to continue and to push forward and to work with that person, that's godly patience. Philippians chapter one, verse six. We are to be confident of this one thing. This is something that you can have a surety in your Christian life. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. That speaks throughout the whole of the church age. Surely oppression destroys a wise man, wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. A bribe is a shortcut for justice and actually it leads to injustice. Verse 9 Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosoms of fools. And so it goes back again. What are you going to be under the influence of? If you're a person who's constantly under the influence of anger, that's what people are going to experience from you. And so if you're driven by anger, then anger is going to always be there, and anger is how people are going to perceive you. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be driven by the Holy Spirit And people are going to perceive you as being of the Holy Spirit. They may not say, hey, Mike's of the Holy Spirit, but they'll realize that there's something different about you. And so that which I fill my life with is that which is going to direct my life. Verse 10, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Don't live in the good old days. One thing, the good old days probably weren't that good. It's just that you have a bad memory. He who lives in the past will have no, they'll have no desirable future. And so you know people who are always talking about the past, always talking about the good old days. Well, in Christianity, it's not about dwelling in the past because in the past, that, well, before Christ, that was my sinful life. That was something really that I should be ashamed of. I remember a friend of mine. he was a born again believer as well. We were spending some time driving together and we were talking about our old party days and at the end of it, it was just like I spent a little you know a few hours in the sewer and it's like really, you know where was the benefit of that? We need to be speaking well concerned about the present, but looking forward to the future because god's always got that future and that hope for us god's always about pushing forward and And seeing new things and great things happen, and if we're always dwelling in the past, then we're never going to push forward in the future and we see so little accomplished. A Christian is to forget the past, live for today, and have hope in the Lord for his future. Verses 11 and 12. uh, Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. So he's speaking of security in finances or an inheritance, but knowledge is truly what is going to give great returns. Knowledge and understanding and wisdom in God and the direction of God and the will of God for one's life. Verses 13 through 14, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? obvious answer to that and whenever a question is asked in the scripture 90% of the time 99% of the time the answer is to the negative who can make straight what he has made crooked the answer is nobody In the day of prosperity be joyful God's going to enable us to prosper but with the prosperous comes the day of adversity but in the day of adversity consider surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him so you're going to have the days of joy, and you're going to have the days of hardship. And what he's saying here is, if you're a wise person, you'll come to that understanding that both are from the hand of God. He spoke a little bit about it this morning. It's then that we come into the understanding, while we're going through the difficult days, that things just are not spiraling out of control, that God is directing the hardship that we have entered in. Because when you enter into hardship, it can seem like nobody's there and nobody cares. But it's even in the midst of that hardship that God is directing the affairs of our lives. And how great is that? Because it's in hardship that you really understand and realize weakness and the inability that you have to change the situation that you're in. But it's God who enters in. It's God who changes. And it's God who delivers. verses 15 through 19, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Now, again, this is truly Solomon, which I believe it is. He's looking back at all of the riches, all of the stuff, and all of the things, and all of the stuff that had absolutely no substance. He says, there is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. Now, this is self-righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise, why should you destroy yourself? He's talking basically about self-righteousness here. This is somebody who is attempting to be displayed or displaying themselves as being somebody more righteous than they really are. And again, somebody who presents themselves as more righteous in actuality, they're trying to present themselves as superior to others. They're building themselves up But a lot of the things that we just talked about as far as rebuke and betterment and fellowship and all of these things, they're lost upon that person. Because again, if that person is presenting himself as superior, he's not going to be receptive. Do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Verse 18, it is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, not... And also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. And so again, the priority has always got to be the wisdom that comes from God. To see things displayed through what the scriptures tell us. To understand the reality of death and and, and the reality of life and how God views these things to understand that God understood to such a degree that he sent a savior. He knows how I am. He knows the sins that I've committed. He knows the nature that I have, but nonetheless, he still loves me and he still brought me in to his His kingdom. Verse 21, also do not take to heart everything people say. Now, the idea behind this is gossip, to hear gossip and, 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 to, uh, and to not be a gossip yourself. Also, do not take heart to everything people say. Let <clears throat> Least you hear your servant cursing you, <clears throat> for many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Very simple: don't speak evil of others. Don't be receptive of the evil that will be spoken of you. Don't. People are going to say stuff. Things are going to happen. It, it's just the reality in life, and we know how people can be. Don't take it personally develop your relationship with jesus christ to such a degree it doesn't matter what anybody says and some of the stuff may even be true but god has chosen to remember my sins no more and it's there that i draw my confidence from verse 23 to the end he comes to his conclusion once more all this i have proved by wisdom i said i will be wise but it was far from me as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep who can find it out Remember Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. the secret things are the Lord's. Just whatever God has d- delivered to us, we have in the scriptures for our learning. Everything else we leave to the Lord. Verse 25, I applied my heart to know, to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is, it's, The woman's whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God shall escape from her. Really, he's speaking of Madam Folly, probably the contrast that we see back in Proverbs. He's just displaying it as this alluring woman who draws people in but just leaves them in a foolish trap. But the sinner shall be trapped by her. Verse 27, Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He's just speaking of the dynamic that existed within a society, that a woman that was within the household would be a little bit more gullible than a man who was out in the world of that day. Verse 29, truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. When he says he made man upright, he's made man with the ability to seek out true godly wisdom to seek out the lord the lord as that catalyst of the gospel has been presented that man would truly come to that understanding of who jesus christ is now we live in a world where there's many other philosophies there's many other religious beliefs this would fall under the headings of the scheme but the idea here is, is that God has created me with the ability to be able to receive of the information of the gospel, to be able to digest it, to be able to understand it, and to be able to receive it. If God did not create us, create us that way, it would be a great tragedy. It would be foolishness because how could we truly receive? But God presented the gospel in such a way that it was undeniable to us and it was an attractant to such a degree that we came into God's kingdom. And we need to understand the wisdom of God that is within our lives, the wisdom of God in the situation today. We look and see how the world is going today and the direction that things are going. And it seems to just seem to be absolute futility. But it's always in those times that the, that the church has been able to flourish. Why? Because the worse things get, the more people will cling to what they know to be truth. We have the truth. God's word is his truth. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the the section of scripture that you have given us. And I just pray, Father, that we would cling to the things, Lord, that are of you. I, I just pray, Father, that we would truly examine the reality of our salvation in our lives and how that works through our lives and into the lives of those whom we come in contact with. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are busy building bridges, that we would not hinder the gospel as it goes out, but, Father, we would be those who perpetuate it. So, Father, I just lift up those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would go before them in their week. I pray that you would bless them. I pray, Father, for us that as we enter into trials, that we would keep our eyes focused upon you. I pray for the joys of life, that we would embrace them and relish those days. And we just pray, God, that you would continue to use us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Our woman's retreat is what is it? It's um, two weeks. Uh, we still have a couple of spots left. I think we only have three spots, maybe two spots, something like that. So if you're gonna go to the woman's retreat and you're wasting or you're waiting to the last moment, the last moment is here. So It would be a blessing to have you. Um, Other than that, have a great work. May the Lord go before you. God bless you.